0: I think a lot of people talk about high-performing teams, but not that many knows actually how to do it.
1: Because by saying that I don't know the answer, you're implicitly telling the organization, but I trust you to come up with this and provide it. To
2: get the delegated authority to make decisions out in your organization. Then you get the ownership, you get the natural drive.
3: But when the rain comes, all of a sudden you can go from first to last or last to first. In a very
4: short time. Welcome to the podcast B two B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Allison as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world class B two B SaaS CEO, and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey.
0: Hello, my name is Anna Goldstrand, and I am acting CEO at Mentimeter. What I am very nerd about is how to create a, a high-performing team. And I think that's interesting for from, from me from two perspectives, because basically Mentimeter is helping companies to create high-performing, te- high-performing teams, uh, but also the importance of, of being a high-performing team uh, at work. Uh, so I think like... I've been working with this for many, many, many years in a very structured way uh, based on research. I think a lot of people talk about high-performing teams uh, and that we need to become high-performing, but not that many uh, people put in the effort or knows actually how to do it. Uh, And I've been working within my whole career with a framework that's called Integrated Modular Group Development, which is basically this idea that every group is going through Four different stages to become high performing. Uh, And what we have, uh, what I started to do at Mentimeter when I started two and a half years ago was to to apply this on our our, on our groups um, and teams. So basically they do a questionnaire, and with that questionnaire, they they find out what stage they're in and also what they need to do to move forward, which is the most important part. And the interesting thing here is that you need to do very different things depending on where you are uh, as a group so it doesn't make sense to have like feedback workshop uh, when you are in stage one for example that comes like further along uh it mu- doesn't make sense to to ask a group to let's uh, let's have a workshop and then we will set our, our strategy and goals together that doesn't work in the beginning. In the beginning, you need to be very directive as a leader to create safety. So so just like we have been training our leaders in this approach and we have been working with it very intentionally. And the, the, the best part, I think, uh, is that we did this with the management team. So we started one year ago uh, to work more deliberately with our management team. And then we have been taking a lot of steps uh, depending on the needs of the, of the group. And now we are actually a high-performing management team. Uh, and that shows it's so clear that we have made this journey. and I actually don't believe that I would have gotten the question of being acting acting CEO if we didn't do this because when you are in a in a early early group, you're actually not using your full com- your, your full competence. You're basically holding a lot back uh, but when our, our group was, becoming more and more performing i also started to share more of my the knowledge i have within other aspects that it's not only people and culture i started i started to be more to to care more about our product strategy to care more more about our sale how we do sales and to like basically make use of myself more Uh, and if i had not Done that, I don't think I would have ever got the question because then I would have been still seen as someone who only knows people and culture, and I would have stayed in my corner. So, so that's my best recommendation for all management team: if to really to to put effort and do this journey. And when you when you when you are high performing, that will impact the whole organization because if VP Sales and VP Product pro- talks to each other and work together, then actually product and sales will talk to each other and work uh, together so it's it's just the impact is is immense basically
1: hi my name is Oskar Haglund. i I'm the CEO and the co-founder of Epidemic Sound I'd like to think that if I am a good leader I think it comes down to two things which I think is very very important I think it's important that you're curious and that you're inclusive and I'd love to elaborate so I think being a good leader is about being curious because if you are, you find yourself asking questions, you want to understand others, both individuals, departments, roles. You want to understand the customer. You want to understand you want to get to asking the right questions as opposed to coming up with the right answer. So I think that leaders, my nickname is Pigge, which in uh, Swedish means alert and wide awake. And I've always been a curious guy, even since I was a kid. And so I think that by asking questions, that's that's how you get to being a good leader, because you help other people formulate answers and come up with um, where you want to go and what you should be doing. And I think that the other part is maybe being inclusive. So it's important to make sure you give everyone a chance to make their voice heard. Um, I think that's important, obviously, depending on context, but it it, it allows for a few things. So if, if people feel that they're being heard and they're being seen, this creates ownership amongst people, because if your opinion is valued, if you come to expect that I will be asked what I think and what my opinion is, you'll do the homework, you'll do the reading, you'll be uh, interested, you'll be up to date, and you'll have like you'll have opinions that creates ownership and it also creates a culture of, of creativity and a culture of excellence. I think it's a very Scandinavian trait that a lot of Anglo-Saxon companies, it, there's a hierarchy. And so the boss comes up with an idea and people are just doers who are supposed to like, materialize uh, that. I think the way that I run Epidemic, at least, is that I try and flip that upside down And we make sure it's the best idea. So I'm thrilled when people have better ideas than myself. It happens more times than maybe I'd like, but it happens all the time. And that's a good thing. Uh, But creating that culture where you want to put your ideas forward, you make sure that it's not the top idea, but it's the best idea that wins. Can
4: you share an odd thing you do that you seem that initially it felt really odd and strange, but afterwards, it have had a great amount of impact.
1: Let's tie that back to one of the previous questions and maybe put an, a Nordic, uh, Nordic culture hat on. So the thing which I've found and then myself found doing is admitting that I don't know the answer to things. And I think that that's something quite rare, because going back to Anglo-Saxon culture, there's always the assumption that if you're in charge... You're assumed to know all the answers, and if not, you fake it till you make it. And it's a signal of weakness if you, as a leader, say that I don't know sort of how we want to, how we get from A to B. I found that the flip side is true in Scandinavian management culture. Um, I found that sort of admitting that you don't know the answer is an odd thing for many people to do, but I've done it multiple times myself. And I think it has incredible impact because by saying that I don't know the answer, you're implicitly telling the organization, but I trust you to come up with this and provide it. I'm constantly saying that this is not being, uh, this is not a humble brag. It's not sort of false modesty, but I always say this, I want to hire people who are smarter than myself. I want to hire people who tell me what to do, not the opposite. I'm terrified of the notion if I'm the smartest person in the room, there's something very, very wrong because you should always be trying to sort of hire people who compliment you. Not across all things, because I acknowledge that there are some things I'm really good at, but there are many things where I'm mediocre at best. And making sure that you lean into that and are honest and then sort of use this, this quote. I don't know the answer, but maybe, Joseph, you can have a think and come back with, with some suggestions. That empowers people, it emboldens people, they're less afraid of making a mistake, there's infinite upside, there's very little downside, you get ownership, collaboration, and off you go. So I think that like, being comfortable and saying that's I I don't know, I think that it's odd, it's, it's <laughs> but and very powerful. What,
4: according to you, is the worst things about being a leader?
1: I think about it this way, Joseph. If you're running a company for a long period of time, if you're lucky, things are constantly changing. And that's super challenging. Like The culture we live in begs of people to always say that I love change. But the truth is most people don't because change is a pain in the ass, right? You have to change your routines and change, change the world around you quite a bit. And so I think that one of the toughest things you have to think about as a leader is how you set yourself up for success in the long run and for me it's ultimately about owning your endorphins like how do you make sure that you're having fun constantly because if for a prolonged period of time you realize that you're not having fun uh you'll stop being good at what you do because you'll lose your passion and so name of the game is like how do you how do you guard your endorphins and as the company grows your role changes over time and that can be very difficult so i've had to sort of relearn, redefine my role to make sure that I get endorphins from what I do. Um, and the way I see it is very much um, like multiple years ago, I was trying to persuade my family to be as enthusiastic about skiing and winter holidays as I was. They, they were less impressed than myself. But we went up to order, and we did sort of a ton of fun stuff. And, and the big move towards the end was a dog sled ride across uh, Jämtländska fjällen. And the weather was amazing. It was really, really cold. There were 10 dogs, my entire family, my wife, our three children. And we sat in that. And as we sort of sped out into the beautiful Swedish uh, wilderness, I was standing at the back of the sled and there were these 10 dogs pulling it. And it's very clear, it became super clear, almost like a vision that I had there that at my core, in my heart, I am a husky. I'm one of those dogs. I can't explain it, but I love to get into a siela. I'm not sure what that is in English, but it's a harness and then just pull heavy sleds with other dogs, like running tongue out, sweaty, like pulling with a team. There's some kind of order, but if you've been in a sled, you see that the dogs change side and they run and they shit at the same time with a little bit of chaos, but they love pulling that heavy sled and they take inspiration and lead from each other. However, my role as I was standing on the sled was not to be a husky. I was standing at the back. I was responsible for my family. And my job was to look at the horizon and and tell the sled, do we go over the ice? Is it thick enough? Do we go through the woods? Do we go up the hill? Where do we take the break? Trying to see onto the horizon and around it and plan. And the analogy here is that in terms of owning your endorphins, when the company is small, the only thing I did was I was a husky and I ran just as hard, if not harder than everyone else. I led by example. I love meeting people, sales calls like I could walk into any room in the company and I knew basically more than most about any given thing. But then, as the company progressed, my role was much more standing at the back of the sled, like incentive programs, management, uh, sort of st- structure, follow-up, communication, uh, office space. I, I never found myself in the meetings, which I typically enjoyed. I had different chores. I had to look to the horizon to make sure that the sled was going in the right direction. And managing that transition is super difficult because if you're if you're a dog and you never get to pull, you become Unhappy after a while. You're only doing things which has tons of value for the company. But if you're not doing things that you really enjoy, you're going to be unhappy eventually. And so the worst thing and the biggest challenge about being leader, and I wouldn't say worst, but the most important thing, the challenge is own your endorphins. Make sure that you set yourselves up for success some of the ways of dealing with that is being very honest, thinking about it. I sometimes put myself in the husky position. So I do sales meetings. I do some startup things. I go into problem solving. We have different office spaces. I love going up and sitting in the office space, which is under development. There's no finesse. There are no chairs. There are no desks. It's not. It's very rough. I love being in that environment. That I can then go and do other things in terms of prepare board meetings or go and... Um, do things which are more outside my comfort zone or have to do with more uh, sort of cybersecurity reporting or whatever it might be. So make sure that you take responsibility for your own endorphins and you set yourself up for the long term because now I can say it's great standing on the sled, looking at the horizon. I've really come to appreciate that and think about it that way. But you need to own that transition because your role is constantly changing and that's difficult.
2: Hi, my name is Maria Börjesson, CEO at Vispa Software, Delegated Leadership. And this is, I'm very nerdy about this, very passionate uh, about it. And I was really inspired by Frederick Villaloo, who has written the book um, Reinventing Organizations. And um, I'm also a coach, so I run another side business, uh, coaching people to make leaders excel and fulfill their roles. And he works as an advisor and a coach, and uh, he was a former associate uh, partner with uh, in McKinsey. And um, he's claiming that we're in a sort of a paradigm shift, uh, how to run organizations, and he's mapping how organizations have developed over the years. And uh, he has studied some companies who has had extreme fast uh, growth and growth. Uh, the only thing they have had in common has been they are, have been in different places of the world, different kinds of businesses, is that they have run the business completely without managers. So every individual is making the decisions that is necessary to make. And they have had two things, other things in common. And that has been that somehow they work in a, with an advisory process where you need to involve people who knows more about this topic than you do. You need to also to involve people who get affected by your decision, owning the budget or or whatever. So basically a stakeholder process. And uh, the second thing which is uh, which these companies have in common is that it's fully transparent. So people can make decisions about your own salary. Uh, that's delegated decisioning out in the organization, but it's fully transparent. So everyone knows what Youssef is earning. And uh, one thing which is more interesting and important for us as a human being is, is uh, belonging to the group so nobody wants to stick out so it sort of regulates itself but that that is something that I really I'm fascinated about this and some companies in the consultancy business have, have tried this and, and run the business uh, without uh, the traditional way of managing things and I think yeah uh, I think it's a when when you look at how much time you spend in an organization on these decision hierarchies with your board, preparing for the board, doing after work, after the board meetings, etc., it's so much internal focus. And another thing which these companies had in common was that you, you don't have a strategy, uh, but you have a very, very clear Understanding of the purpose of your corporate corporation. So, what's the meaning for us being on the market or doing our business? The, the fundamental purpose with your business. So, he claims that um, instead of having a focus on a strategy which goes four years, three years, five years, business plan period, etc., you have a clear understanding of the purpose and you sort of move with the market, you move along with the market, which is a very interesting thought because then you really get, you really listen to what is happening in your surrounding. So this is something, I it's very difficult to transform a business completely to this kind of steering, but he also talks that you, you can move a bit on that ladder. Um, so you, you, you can't really mix, but you can at least move a bit on that ladder. So that that's something, I'm really nerdy about to get you know the delegated authority to make decisions out in your organization and it's a different uh, view or mindset to that to actually as a member in an organization or, or a coworker to to um, consider that, that the decision is my own i don't delegate it up to my bosses or my managers the decision is is mine but i can seek advice i can get input etc but the decision sits with me and then you get the ownership, you get the natural drive. Everyone owns their decisions. It's not uh, the boss has said this or the board said this. Everyone owns the decision and, and are responsible to bring out the product to the market, responsible for making it successful. So I think it's, uh, yeah, I really do believe that we will see more companies uh, shaped like this. And I look forward to it.
3: Hi. My name is uh, Thomas Leatherford. I'm CEO at Pixels. So I think one of the things that I'm extremely, um, extremely passionate about, that is something as boring as doing change management, because when you need to adapt your company to a new reality, then uh, maybe uh, then many companies are going through uh, you know a different period of time or a period where they need to right size their organization and to do that is uh, that is actually at the core of change management and it is a change process that is you know that has been um, that that is driven by external factors so you can't really do anything about it but the good thing about all the change that many companies go through right now is that they have they actually do have time to prepare it it's not like they need to do it in a week or two they actually have a month or two to prepare it and I think I just heard someone tell me today that uh, you know crises are like a Formula One race when uh, you do a Formula Run race and it's uh, dry and the Sun is out it's super difficult you know to win and to gain positions in a race but when the rain comes all of a sudden you can go from first to last or last to first in a very short time and Handling that change, handling that rain. This is it's it's a big opportunity for companies that are actually capable of handling those changes in the best possible way to to gain a lot of positions in the industry they're in. So 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 right now, I think everyone should be Formula One drivers, and it, it, you know, in the rain. And in order to run a Formula One car in the rain in the most optical way, optimal way, it is super important that everyone is involved that everyone knows exactly what's uh, going on that you don't pit stop by purpose or that you don't do i mean everything needs to be 100% clearly communicated it needs to be everyone needs to be involved in order to 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 to, to be engaged and so on and so forth and we need right now we're in a time of of you know of, um, uh, we're in a business environment that, that really speaks to us as managers to be super transparent around what's going on, to be to, to really involve people and engage them and communicate about what's going on. Because if we do that, we, we, you know, we can find a whole new level of motivation, even though things might be a bit critical. And we will find that then you will be the best ones at driving that Formula One car in the rain. And I guarantee you, there are super many companies out there that are. Uh, that are seeing trouble right now. But if they approached it maybe with a little different mindset, they could see it as a rainy day on the Formula One track and take the opportunity to pass them all. Um, so, so that's uh that's something that that for me is super, super important now. That is to to handle that. The, the rain that we're seeing and, and to handle that change process that many companies are going through and, and, and to be able to, you know, maybe hold back our costs in the right way in order to get the right platform for, you know, when the sunny day comes out. Um, because to to be, uh, you know, not 100% competitive or still battling
4: with things and then the rain comes and then you come out of the rain and you're the last. Where... Well should a leader that listen to this start if if they gonna prepare for the for the race where where is the first thing for them to start after listening to this
3: oh that's a good question and another thing is you have listeners of this podcast i believe mainly in europe correct biggest in europe right Yeah, biggest in europe because there's actually a difference uh, on how to be successful in change management if you drive a U.S.-based company or a European Anglo-Saxon company because employees react differently and they are, believe it or not, they're partly motivated by different things. And you need to take that into account when you plan your, your change management. But I would say Europeans are super motivated. By You motivate most European workforces by involving them and being transparent and by bringing them into, you know, say, how can we actually solve this? And and by being super, super, super transparent. I think many, many CEOs or C-level people out there, now they're thinking, uh, it was super fun to be uh, transparent uh, when things were good, but now it's not so nice. That might be true, but it is even more important to be transparent when things are not going well compared to when they're just, you know, you know, going through the roof. Because everyone senses that things are either going through the roof or that you're battling a bit. And 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 and, and, and to motivate employees in our workforce and, and all of your colleagues, you, you really need to be transparent. So transparency and communication is number one in all of this. Do not be afraid to tell it how it is. Do not, uh, you know, don't don't, don't uh, peck away the bad things. Don't put them in there because everyone will know it anyways, right? And if you don't communicate it, you know, you can't control it, then it'll just be traveling through the grapevine. You do not want that. Approach it up front, and then you need to plan any. Do never go into a change management process without thinking through where are we now? Where do we want to be? How do we want to get through this and then break it down and make sure that you have, you know, all those different bits and pieces planned for when you initiate your uh, your change process? Because if, if you don't do that, then it will seem like you are, you know, that, that you're driving, uh, that you're driving while you're, you know, putting down tarmac and you basically need to know. And of course, you always need to be to adjust things, right? But you basically need to be to, to have a very, very firm direction of where you're going. So, so, so that's one thing. But B, that's at least my experience, and it was when I did I did a pretty back when I did that MBA, I did a pretty thorough research on this. Also, to keep an agile, and incremental mindset towards strategy planning is super important when you go through uh train change management processes especially if you run a knowledge based company where your main um, asset is basically the employees you have it's a different thing if you run a company with uh, a 150 oil rigs around the world right and everyone uh, you've involved with huge investments, then you need to think differently. But but the companies that that, that we run and most uh, SaaS companies are, you know, be incremental in your thinking. Be agile.
4: If you like what you heard and got value, please tell a friend or a colleague to listen to B two B SaaS sales. A huge thank you for putting aside around thirty minutes to keep on learning.